Our text is 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I'll read from 1 Samuel starting at the end of chapter 1 for a few verses. This is Hannah speaking. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the rock upon whom we can depend. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith, that we would grow in our faith, that we would not quench the work of the Spirit to draw us close to yourself, uh, reliant upon you, your word, and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. We ask you to draw us close to your heart now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'll give you a very brief summary of where we've been in this story, Hannah's prayer. We began with Hannah being miserable. She was tormented by her competitor for her husband's affections, Penina. She was then comforted by Eli's prayer when she came up to the sacrifice. We then know that God answered her prayer, gave her the son that she longed for, and yet she had promised him to the Lord So she was faithful in honoring her promise and in giving Samuel to God. And then last time, we uh, focused on her salvation. She was so joyful, and her husband was concerned that she would not want to give up this boy. Uh, He was thinking that this was the source of her joy, having this boy in her hands, but it wasn't. She gladly gave him over to the Lord. So that brings us to verse 2, and it's so brief, let me read it again. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. So in each of the clauses, there are three clauses in that statement. Each of them has this comprehensive statement. No one, none, and then nor any. And so you can see that Hannah is repeating this phrase, this uniqueness of God. Venn diagrams are very common in our culture. You see two circles, and then you see where they overlap. And this is a very simple way of illustrating commonality between two things and then disparity between two things. And it's just, we tend to think like that. I mean, this is not just uh, in technical talks. Just as a culture, we've embraced this. And these words, no one, none, nor any, they take these two circles and they split them apart. They're showing that there is nothing that is in common between these two. And so you have to ask, what is it then that Hannah is emphasizing there is absolutely no commonality between? And so we say, no one is holy like the Lord. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none, none besides you. So Hannah is speaking of God's holiness. Now, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called The Holiness of God. And one of the things he mentions in that book is that most of us really don't 
think of what this means as the first definition. Most of us have a default definition of holiness, and that is God's righteousness, God's purity. And it's true, that's the definition of holiness. But it's probably the second more popular definition. The first one that holiness reflects is his otherness. God is wholly other when it comes to comparing us to him. So though we're made in his image, God is wholly other relative to his holiness. He calls us to be holy like him, and yet we're not, and we know we're not. The first five references to holy in the Bible as an adjective, and what's funny is you don't see the word holy at all in the book of Genesis, but once you have God introducing the law to the people, you hear the word holy a lot. So the first five references to holy as an adjective in the Bible are these. Holy ground, it's when God is pointing out that Moses is standing on holy ground. Holy convocation, in other words, when God is meeting with the people, that's referred to as a holy convocation. Holy habitation, by God saying, you are having this holy habitation, he's setting it apart for their use exclusively. This is a holy habitation for his people. Holy Sabbath, so we're talking now of time, how we're using our time. And the fifth is holy nation. So again, they are set apart by God to be a holy nation. So all of these are referring to that primary definition of holiness as being otherness. So God is holy other, but yet he calls us to be holy other as well. The last phrase, nor is there any rock like our God. Reminds me, I can't help but share this with you because just in the last few days I've read a biography of a man, an autobiography. His name is Ted Williams. He was named after the famous baseball player by the name of Ted Williams. But this man, about eight years ago, was quote-unquote discovered on the streets of Columbus. He was homeless. And a videographer for a Columbus paper did an interview of this man. He was standing at the street corner at an interstate off-ramp, and he had a sign saying that he was once a famous DJ. So he recorded this man ad-libbing an ad, and then he posted it on YouTube, and within like three days, it got 11 million hits. So it obviously went viral. And I don't know if any of you remember this, but this was eight and a half years ago. Oh, it's amazing. Within 24 hours, within 14 hours, that man, from the time it went viral and the time he was initially contacted, uh, was taken to L.A. And he was participating in all of these interviews with all of these famous talk show hosts. And Dr. Phil, he was on the Dr. Phil show, and he interrogated him and his children, uh, and it was traumatic. He and his uh, longtime uh, girlfriend, homeless girlfriend, had, they'd been together for 15 years on the streets of Columbus. Um, they both went into rehab. They both left rehab within two weeks because they just felt like there was too much pressure on them. And uh, yet it changed this man's life, and he remains changed. He's now uh, working, has a home, uh, apartment in Columbus. Uh, he and his wife, he's, he's, he's using his, what's called his golden voice. The name of the book was A Golden Voice. The man had wanted to be a radio DJ all of his youth, and then he became that. 
He was the most famous DJ in Columbus in the mid-80s when he smoked his first crack pipe. And it just went downhill very quickly. He, was, he lost his job within two months. He lost his home within four months. He was then on the streets with varying degrees of difficulty living on the streets all those years. But the reason I share his story is this. I don't think many of us, praise God, would understand the mechanism of smoking crack. And yet, there is a terminology in smoking crack that reminded me of our text. Because in crack terminology, a rock is something that is precious to you. It's $20 worth of rock cocaine that you then place in your pipe, you bust it up and you sprinkle it in this pipe, you light it, and you then enter into this euphoric state for a brief time, too brief. And that's why they're always hooked. They want the next high, they want the next high. Yet, this man had grown up a Baptist and he used terminology familiar to us in describing this act of smoking crack. He described it as a religious experience very descriptively and very intentionally because he knew he was worshiping another god when he was hooked on crack all those years. He was yet trying to remain true to the God, praise, praying to God, speaking in Jesus' name, removing swear words from his language, that type of thing. He would become sensitive to that at times. But yet, he described the preparation of the pipe as a sacrament. And he described the lighting of that rock as that act of worship, leading to the euphoria, that brief euphoria that drove him to lose all of what he'd had in life until then. And so see, it is so clear what he's sharing with us is his viscerally living out the breaking of the second commandment repeatedly. That he set his addiction up as his God in his life, even though he knew the true God. He'd known the true God in his youth, and here he had run from the true God all of his life, and yet now he is a public speaker. He goes out to speak about this. Will he never fall again? I don't know. Do we never fall again? We all fall. And yet he falls so far when he falls. It's just scary to us. Living on the streets, you know, being beat up, being robbed, or what he and his girlfriend did a lot, rob other people. So we see God alone is worthy of our devotion and our worship, and yet this man, very knowingly, as a, having grown up a Christian, had abandoned the God of his youth. And so he turned that sacrament of his drug addiction into what this should be. And he knowingly did it, and it broke his heart at times, but it didn't prevent him from falling victim to it over and over again. All of us, though, even though we don't fall so far from God, so f fall so far as to lose ourselves in homelessness, all of us, when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. We're serving something else. We're breaking the second commandment. And if we are doing that repeatedly, we are turning it into a sacrament. We're displacing this with that because we're setting our hearts and our affections on it. So we all ought to watch against this. We are not so far from where that man fell to. 
We all can fall away from God, and we must not. We want to worship him. We want to enter into this communion with him as our all in all. We sing about it, it's lovely, and yet think about it in the week ahead, the days ahead. We want to remain true to the Lord. And if you are falling away, if you're recognizing that you have set your affection upon something other than God, you might not notice it initially, but you'll notice it over time. You'll see it weeks and months down the road. Other people will begin to see it. That's the way life is. Our sins can't be hidden forever. So as we come to the table, let's remember that this is a sacrament holy to the Lord God and that this we want to be the only sacrament that we're partaking of in life and have it wholly dedicated to our Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that uh, so many of us have not fallen into sin to the depth to which this man has repeatedly. And we pray, Lord, against that, that none of us would. And yet, we thank you for making us aware of how precious you and your word are to us and how obeying you uh, leads us away from such dissolute lives. We ask you, Lord, to have this communion be precious to us have us to reflect on the fact that we have value only in our service to you. And apart from that, we are nothing. We ask you now to hear our prayer in Jesus' name and for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.